Episode 110, Moses Harris, software engineer, co-founder of Tech Can Do Better. I, <laughs> asking someone what their favorite mistake is, it's a, it's a very different way to phrase things. And so thank you for the uh, introspection. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes, because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For links, show notes, and more, go to markgraben.com slash mistake110. As always, thanks for listening, and now on with the show. And we are joined today. Our guest is Moses Harris. He is a co-founder and outreach director of Tech Can Do Better, and we'll learn more about that today. Uh, Moses is a software engineer and technical leader at IBM, and uh, again, he's a, a co-founder of Tech Can Do Better. It's an organization that helps technology companies create equitable outcomes for underserved populations, starting with the Black community. Moses graduated from the University of Illinois, Chicago with a degree in architecture. He was born, raised, and schooled in Chicago. He now lives and works in Austin, Texas. So Moses, thanks again. Thank you for being here. How are you? Doing well, doing great. Very happy to be here. We have a lot to talk about today, but uh, we, we like to jump right in. Thinking back to the things that you've done in, in your career, what would you say is your favorite mistake? So it's, it's a little bit of a different one, I think. But um, in, in my career of uh, over 20 years being in the tech industry, I've actually been fired two times. And mm-hmm. uh, they were both when I was very young um, and, and just starting out. Uh, it was at one of, I think it was my second job ever. And that job was, uh, particularly a giant step up for me. So I was very, um, upset to lose the position, but the reason for, uh, which I lost the first time, uh, I got fired was one in which you kind of compare what your personal values are against, uh, what you, consider to be what 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 you want to give up to work somewhere right what you want to allow um i guess what what you want to allow yourself to compromise to to feel like yourself at the end of the day and i can talk a little bit about it um so there was a situation where uh i was i believe i was 18 or 19 years old um i was working at a very large insurance company one of the um, one of the big ones, and it's stationed in in Chicago. And I had come in as kind of a, a young gun who knew back then uh, Macromedia Flash uh, and and could build applications. We were building um, CDs that were passed out to clients to talk about the suite of offerings that um, you know the the company did, and so. I felt like, you know, at that point in time, I'm like, wow, I'm making double what I was at my last job, which was like $22 an hour. Like I, I, it was, it was a lot for me back then. And so, um, once I, uh, got into the company, I I quickly established myself. I, I, I tend to think that I work 
pretty hard and I, I try and be cordial and carry myself as a person who's empathetic and um, gets along with people, really, you know, I, I feel like uh, you don't you don't go very far making enemies or treating people badly. So uh, in the course of working there, uh, I didn't I didn't have the idea that some people have where you hold back on skills because if you're not getting paid for more than don't do more, I, I really wanted to help and I wanted to. Uh, make myself useful. So uh, even though I was hired for a specific thing, I had been around computers and technology my entire life. So I ended up being kind of like a uh, go-to guy for uh, if you need a projector set up, if you need audio equipment set up, if you need, you know, if um, you, if the AV department was busy, Moses will help you out. You know, he's, he's, he's that guy. And so I was more than happy to do it. And in one particular instance, um, I got called out to set up a projector for a, um, a pretty small department. They just wanted to do a quick meeting. And in the course of setting up the projector, I had never met their uh, their leader before. I, I found out she was actually a pretty high up VP, and I didn't know this at the time. And um, she was actually ex-military, which I also didn't know at the time which tends to bring certain expectations around, um, I guess, hierarchy and, and how people are, are uh, talk and how people are treated. And so when I was in the room, it was like this, it was the, the quickest interaction where um, the wireless signal wasn't working in the room. And I had made a comment that um, maybe she should uh, restart her connection or it was, it was like the smallest thing, right? It was, it wasn't a, a, a very, um, it wasn't a very long interaction, but in that moment, I guess uh, there was an assumption made about me because I was uh, joking with the people in the room. And once everything was set up, I left and I came back to get the equipment and I uh, went back to my desk and I, I felt like that was the end of the interaction. So uh, maybe a day later, my boss calls me in and says that I had been reported for in, insubordination. Right. Yikes. And that I had um, basically mouthed off in front of um, all of her, um, in all of her department, right. It was all of her subordinates, right. The people who were under her in her, her department. And the funny thing was I was friends with one of the people in that department. And, and I, I, I contacted her and I, I was stunned. Honestly, yeah. I was stunned. I, I, the interaction with my boss was one of, I don't understand. I'm not quite sure what happened, what, uh, what the reference was. And so, I contacted my friend and I said, did you get anything from this? She's like, no, you were perfectly fine. You were, you were great. We all liked you. We thought you were, you know, very um, approachable. We thought you were very smart. You knew what you were talking about. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. And so the, the VP said that it'll all be swept under the rug if he just comes and apologizes. And so I went upstairs. I, I'm, Basically, I have a really firm sense of right and wrong. And in that moment, I didn't feel like I had done anything wrong. Yeah. So apologize for what? Exactly. To, right? I had, 
<laughs> I had seen myself as a person who was very aware of these things, right? I, I try and be very aware of how I talk to people, how I treat people. That's how I was raised. It's how I, you know, try and carry myself. And so it got to the point where I'm young, I'm angry, right? And I, I know that I love this job. I'm having a great time at this job. I don't want to lose this job. And so I talked to my boss. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to apologize. That's not something I can do. I don't feel like I can do that. And he says, well, this is going to be escalated if you don't. Right. And so you're going to get a mark on your permanent record. So I go, okay, fine. Um, I'll go up. They told me where her office was. I went upstairs and I'm standing in front of her and she's sitting there with her arms crossed and she's looking at me kind of like expectedly, like she's, you know, you know what you did. And I, I don't know how to tell you, like, I'm, I'm almost like shaking with emotion. Right. And uh, like a single tear, like comes down my cheek because I feel like I am being vastly wronged. And so I apologized. I, um, why, how, how, how do you, sorry to interrupt. How do you state that? Cause I mean, like I, I'm, other than saying, I'm sorry. Like usually you try to explain, I'm sorry. For, exactly. For, 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 for what this. did I do? Right. Because, right. and that's why the, I feel like the next part happened because I didn't really know what I was apologizing for. I went up, I apologized. I left. I had to leave for the day. Turns out I gave my friend a ride home that day. And he's like, I was a little scared, man. Like you were driving kind of fast. I was driving angry. I'll tell you, I was driving very upset. And so, um, Later, she went back to my boss and said, I don't feel like he was sincere. I don't feel like he meant it. I feel like he um, was just going along to get along. Long story short, um, I, I, was a, um, I was still a college student. I was working. It, wasn't, it was full time, but they gave me time off to go do my studies, right? I was in architecture. I was sleeping under desks to get my project done, right? Working full time, working my way through school. It was a lot. And so they said, you know what? I feel like you might not be a good fit. I feel like um, this, you may need to pay more. Like they, they make it seem like they're doing it for you. And um you may need to spend more time on your studies. We're going to find someone who, who works better here. And so long story short, I lost the job. I got fired. Um, they let me go. They basically sent me home that day and, um, I got my last check and I was looking for another job because I was paying my way through school. You know, my parents didn't have the money to put me through school. So, um, I, I lost that job and, in, in hindsight, you look at it and you go, what could I have done, right? I, I basically got rolled over in a way where I was, I was young. I was a new employee. She had seniority. You know, she was a, a person that had a, a certain amount of cachet in that company. It was my word against hers. The work I had done was flawless. I didn't have any complaints against me. But in that situation, you start to think, you know, like, what was it? What did I do? Like, what could I have done? Yeah, I mean, what, what's mind boggling is, you know, if, if they indeed were 
looking out for Moses and, and looking out for you and your career, yeah. some sort of explanation that was specific around the behavior that would help you process improve. that exactly. and improve. Exactly. I mean, you know, I'm thinking back to times where, I mean, I think, I, I think I'm generally, I, you know, I, I, I can't think of too many times in different jobs where I've been like called on the carpet. Yeah. But I, I can think of one time in particular, I was, a, I won't get into the details of it, but it was, um, you know, as a college intern and like, I do remember, like there was some specific feedback, like something that you can take to heart and, you know, I got sent to uh, a class on listening. I'm like, okay, yeah. that's a good skill. Yeah. But like, I was basically being told, like, I in some context, I wasn't listening. And, you know, instead of throwing me away, the, the, yeah. you could say, well, they made an investment in me. I was a little bit like, oh, do I really need to go to this class? But yeah. like, it, it was, it was specific. And it sounds like so, the, 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 this was really unfair to you. I would say that in the moment, if I had probably taken it better, because um, I don't, I don't know if I was, I was a bit emotional. I'll say that. Like I wasn't taking it in a way that would engender conversation. Um, like when I spoke to her, I was whole, I was literally holding back tears because you're in a position where you don't feel like you did anything wrong. You want to fight for yourself, but at the same time, they're basically putting you in your place and saying, toe the line, right? Do what, what we're, do what, what we're telling you to do what we're telling you to do. And I'm, honestly, I feel like the line was not necessarily you embarrassed me in front of my employees the line was you knew something i didn't know in a public setting and i'm going to exercise my ability to show you that i'm the one in charge here you know and yes you know you'll you'll meet a lot of people in your career that are good people and will be great managers and will teach you a lot but you'll also meet the people that are there for their own reasons, right? They're there for, you know, I'm going to win at this game or I'm, I'm super competitive or I'm super arrogant. I deserve this, right? Or I have my own um, trauma or my own situations that I'm, I'm getting over. And this is my, this is my um, chance to get back, right? This is my chance to hold someone accountable, you know, you don't know what someone's reasons are, but you know that as long as you have that confidence in yourself, right? You know that I'm here for a reason. I'm here because of my own skills. I'm here because I feel like I have a, a positive personality. I feel like I have a, a, good, um, a good work ethic. I have something to add here. I was, I was, especially at that point, I was the most technical person in the room not even talking about um, AV, not even talking about the extra skills that I was bringing in. I was, I was bringing something to the table that they had not seen there before. Back at the moment, at the time, everything was done in PowerPoint. You would um, render out an EXE and then you would um, put it on a CD and then auto run it. 
in order to get this presentation to play, but it wasn't interactive, right? There was no feedback loop. There was no user experience. There was no ability to draw them into even the dry material that we were presenting at the time, right? And so um, I had confidence in that, but I didn't have confidence in the politics in an office. So today, in a different situation, there's no way I would have gone upstairs. There's no way I would have apologized. I would have had the conversation. I'd have said, hi, my intention um, was not one to embarrass or one to hold you um, as some sort of you know pariah in front of your employees. But I would say that I have no um, regrets about the way I acted in that room. I feel like I held myself professionally. Help! I was I was very professional, and um, I would like to get your point of view on the matter and turn it into a conversation. But at that, at, because I have the confidence now that I can, I can take whatever comes to me as long as I'm I'm confident. I can walk out of the room holding my head high, knowing that I didn't give up that piece of myself that had me in tears at 19 years old in front of a, a, a superior, right? Where I didn't feel like I did anything wrong and I still bowed, right? I still. Mm. And, and, and to this VP, it wasn't enough. That's the. Yeah, exactly. The it still wasn't really, enough. Yeah, yeah. It still wasn't enough. So if I'm going to, if I'm going to get my head on the chopping block anyways, I may as well walk out of the room with, with, you know, my, my pride intact. So I, I think that that's one of the rare situations. You can't, you can't ever foresee that kind of thing because it's, it's out of your control. Right. Um, there was, there was the other situation that was very much within my control and I don't think I would have played it any differently. Um, this, the second time I got fired was, and I'll say fired because uh, I was I wasn't I wasn't just let go. Um, they they did it for cause. But uh, I was a I was a professional musician for a number of years um, back when I was living in Chicago and before I moved to L.A. back back in the day, a uh, long time ago. And uh, this was probably the fourth job. It was after um, the job after the one I got after the one we talked about where. Um, I, I got a little bit of success and I ended up in a position where I was under contract with the record company. And so, um, the way that usually goes is you have, uh, specific obligations that are under contract, right? A certain number of albums, a certain number of tours, and the record company gets uh, a certain amount of, of a certain percentage of the um, revenue that you make uh, on that tour or with those albums or, or whatever. So uh, I was getting to the end of my contract and I had another tour and another record on that contract and realized that um, I was still under contract, but they told me that they weren't going to option those two obligations, right? They said, you know what? Uh, we don't, Honestly, we don't feel like your first record's doing very well. You know, you're, uh, I was getting shelved basically. And, and you know what? I get it. It's, it's not, it's not for everyone. Um, but long story short, I, I look for a job, right? I, I I'm going to move on with my life. I'm going to find something to pay the bills until I figure out what 
path that I'm going to take. And so found a job. Um, I worked there for about a month and the record company told me, you know what, we, let's get one more tour because those, your tours did okay. Um, and we'll do it on the last record, right. To try and sell a bit more of that. And I told them, Hey, I'm working. I can't just leave for a month to, um, to go out on the road. And so they said, well, you're under contract. You have to figure this out. And so I went to my boss and I said, Hey, look, um, I treated it like a vacation that you already have booked when you start a new job. I said, Hey, look, I have this thing. I didn't know that this was going to happen. I thought that I was free and clear, but if there's any way I would love to keep working here. And so um, they let me uh, buy a, a dongle. I got the, uh, the satellite wireless. I worked from the road. I did my work. I said, you know what? I, I'm here to do a job. And so uh, all the free beer, all the late nights. Oh, are you coming? No, I'm not coming. You know, I, I stayed, I did my projects. I got it all done. I yeah. played shows at night when we're driving between gigs, I was working, I was doing an eight hour work day in the van. I was like, I worked and went to school at the same time I can do this. Right. And so, <laughs> yeah. um, when I got back, everything was fine. Right. Tour went off. Um, they, they didn't do the last record. Um, I, I, cleared my contract. I went to, went back to work. Um, probably middle of that year, a few months later, the company wasn't doing so well. They lost a huge client and they needed, they needed to trim some fat. And we knew the hammer was coming down because a couple of the new employees, I had been there, um, maybe like eight months at this time, a couple of the new employees had gotten let go. And so we're like, they said anyone who'd been here less than six months. Great. I, I was just over. So I got called in once again to the boss's office and said, hey, look, Moses, um, we feel like the time that you were out on the road, you didn't get enough work done. Um, we feel like, you know, you didn't hold up to your side of the bargain. And for those reasons, we're going to um, let you go. And it wasn't let go. They fired me with cause. I know because I didn't get unemployment. So um, I, I, was, I was just going to ask him. Mean, it sounds like were they, were they trying to disguise or reclassify a layoff as exactly for cause firings? Exactly, uh, exactly. And so that's the kind of like yeah. It's that's exactly that's exactly what it was, right? And I looked I looked my boss in the face. The funny thing was, um, I looked him in the face and I said, you know, this is not right. Right. I, I can show you the work that I've done for you. I can show you the hours that I've put in. I can show you the hours that I've worked. The um, project I was working on when I was on the road came off without a hitch. Like, yes, there were some issues, but they were based on um, client side um, information they had to provide, not based on work that I was doing. Right. And so when I uh, left, I went home. I said, OK, you know, I'll, I'll figure something out. Uh, you, you do what you have to do. My, uh, one of the co-founders sent me a text message asking if I was okay. Right. But it was worded in a way where I was like, why we're not friends at this point. Like, why, <laughs> why are you checking on me as if this is a, a situation in which like you let me go for a cause that just seemed a little, it just seemed a little weird to me. And so 
in that case, I feel like had I gone, had I said, you know what, um, take me to court, um, you know, or however much money you think that I'll get back from the road, I'll pay you or made it. So I didn't have to go on the tour and came and worked through my job. I don't know if I would have still been working there at that point. Right. Uh, maybe they wouldn't have had the same excuse, but maybe they would have found something else. Right. And so for me, the lesson learned there was, being, being a musician was a dream, right? That was something that I, I had wanted to do my entire life. And had I not gone on that tour, where would, where would I be now in, in wondering, you know, like, oh man, that last hurrah, that last, you know, uh, you know, time out that last, you know, going out with the guys and playing music and, and talking to fans and, it's just those things that you can look back on when you do take your career and you're pushing your career forward. You can put a, an exclamation point on a point in your life and you can say, I did that. I really did it. And I tried it and I, I gave it my best shot. And so now I can give this my best shot. Right. Uh, and, and I can, I can get to, um, I'm a, I'm a software architect at a giant tech company. Right. Um, I can, I can point to my portfolio of, um, software that I've built. I can talk to, uh, client results and the outcomes. I can talk to the enablements that I've, you know, like helped people get through the mentoring I've done the certificate, the technical certificates I've won, like that stuff feels sweeter almost because I've done it free and clear, right? Like, I, I've done it in a way that I'm not guessing. I'm not second guessing my life path. Right. right? And yeah. so go ahead. Well, it comes across real clearly. You're not saying it was a mistake to go yeah. and do the tour. Um, a lot of times on, on this show, people talk about the mistake is the thing I did. I had yeah. one guest who brought up sometimes the mistake is the thing you didn't do. Yeah. And exactly. it sounds like, you know, what I hear you saying is if you had not, if you had said, well, look, I, I, I can't risk my, my day job. I'm not going to do the tour. That, that could have been a bigger regret. That could have been mistake, a bigger regret. It could have been a bigger mistake. But I feel like in general, people feel like being fired is. It's a, it can't it's a it's not necessarily a step back. Right. There were two situations where. It's arguable. I mean, there are things that I could have done differently in both situations. Like I could have held myself together. I could have gone above and beyond to, to um, try and assist her and say, hey, what can I do to make this better? Right. Uh, I could have um, not gone on the tour and and possibly done more work. And if if it was between me and another and another employee, you know, I would have maybe still been working there, but your current position, your current point in life is a, it's kind of like it, a solution to an equation where all of the addition of everything that's happened to you up to that point has made who you are and where you are today. So if any one of those things hadn't happened to you, would you be where you are now? And I, I don't know. I can't answer that question, but I, I'll say that where I am now, I'm, I'm very happy. So 
getting fired was probably some of my favorite mistakes. I've had um, a couple of guests who get real, you know, in a good way, philosophical about, you know, this idea of, you know, what, you know who, what and who we are now is an accumulation of everything that's happened to us. And that was, that had to be, or that was yeah. meant to be, or fated to be, or however you might frame it. Um that you know that that's that that that's not always easy to put our heads around or or to accept, depending on what some of those life experiences it's, are. It's and not, we, yeah. Some of them are hard, you know. Um, you know, in 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 life, the lessons you learn are the kind of the fuel you take forward, right? And even even some of the harder things i'm i'm an incredible optimist and it's hard sometimes in in some of the more severe moments in life but um looking forward to okay this really sucks right this is this is not something that i wish was happening to me right now but in hindsight looking at the lessons learned there um i i don't know if let's say um, there was a lesson learned in two short moments, right? Well, maybe a month on the tour and then a conversation with the boss, right? Because I was working all the other times. The things that I learned in college that I paid a lot of money for, right? Those come forwards with you. But also I would put them on the same level, right? I would, I would put them, um, that, that school of hard knocks, the things you learn from life, um, can be just as valuable or more valuable, right? Because how much experience do you get on the job that wasn't structured in that same way? And how much value would you put on that experience? Well, one question I wanted to ask, you know, thinking back to the, the story from back at the insurance company, you know, this interaction with the VP. So clearly there was an age differential, there was a yeah. power differential, yeah. um, you didn't say as part of the story, and I don't want to assume one way or another, was there a racial difference? And do you, was that, at, yeah, I know you say you, you don't know this person's intent, but. So I'll, I'll say that it's always a question, right? Um, and in the company, I'll say that there were less than 2% black employees at that time. Um, I was the only black person in my department and I was the only um, black person on that half of the floor, I think I can say. There were other black people in the room, but in talking to um, the people in the room that I did know who happened to be black and talking to my boss and talking to the VP and talking to the other people who well, he, so I'll say on my boss's side, he only knew what he was told, right? He wasn't in the room. The VP was in the room and there was one other person in the room who, whether they were trying to get on their boss's good side or whether they were, um, you know, they were co-signing with the boss, what the boss said, and they were Caucasian. So mm -hmm. when the lines are drawn in that way, you can't help but to ask the question, right? And also we know that between different cultures, um, between different um, backgrounds, there's different ways that we carry ourselves and that are seen in different ways, right? 
where um, one culture may be loud and vivacious and, and, and braggadocious, where another culture may be, um, you know, quieter and, and, you know, just carry themselves in different ways. If there was a chance to have that conversation, I would have loved to have that conversation. What was it about me? I'll say that at that point, I did have dreadlocks down in my shoulders. I'll say that I was younger, so I, I dressed a little younger. I did. I wore ties to work, but my clothes were a little baggier. Um, and I every once in a while, I wear this pair of corduroys that my uh, girlfriend made for me at the time that were, um, I don't know if you've ever seen those Jinko jeans that are like gigantic. Um, they're, they're probably, I think I can picture this is, they're from, probably like yeah. bell bottoms to like the, but, but just really wide, not, very wide, not at right? the bottom. But exactly. Just, just very yeah. wide. Right. And I'm coming straight from school. So I'm, I'm not wearing work clothes to school around my, my compatriots at the time. So I'll say that there was a component of, um, culture there. I can, I can say that the question is there, but I'll never know. You know, I, I can say that other situations, um, it's more clear cut, right? Um, you can see a, a pattern over time, but I wasn't there long enough to see it. I'll say that there were rumors from uh, people in her department that you need to watch out for her, which is a way uh, women and minorities often like there's no. Uh, rule book that you follow. It's in conversations. It's in, you know, heart to hearts that you have. Hey, you know, however you act around other people, don't act that way around her. But I, I figured there was no harm meant. So of course there was no harm taken. And that's not always the case. I mean, in, in that situation, um, uh, it sounds like, you know, line was drawn implicitly or one, uh, you know, uh, people were pressured in the choosing sides. It could have been just totally based off of power and yeah. hierarchy. I'm going to side have. with the VP. Yeah. No, it could Moses, have been. He has no power. It um, definitely could have been, right? This person yeah. um, decides how I progress, right? This person decides my career. Um, but also there is the way that employees um, act in front of the boss and the way that employees act behind the boss's back. Right. And so, yes, I understand if in the room you're, um, taking their side, but to actually go on record and to, you know, co-sign it and affect a young man's career. That's a, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. Yeah. So there, and, and you know, there's the dynamic. So, you know, to people, who are watching on YouTube, it's super obvious. Listening to us, you know, might, you know, but just, you know, you, you've described yourself, you're you know, a city kid from Chicago. Yeah. You're a black man from <laughs> yeah. the city. I'm yeah. a white guy from the suburbs of Detroit. Yeah. So yeah. a very different environment. And, you know, in one of my um, summer internships um, at a, a major automaker, um, there was a, a black engineering co-op intern and um, he, he had short, really close cut hair. And one day over lunch, um, I forget how it came up, but he sort of, you know, volunteered and shared with us that before he took that internship, before he even interviewed for it, he also had really long dreadlocks. Yeah. And he felt pressure 
like he thought it would like he better cut them off to have a better chance of getting the job. And, and for, you know, that, that was, uh, that was eye-opening it was being a sheltered kid who grew up in a very white environment yeah. in the suburbs. I have, you know, the luxury or this is where I come to understand the word privilege, the privilege of not really having to worry about, about what someone yeah. thinks about my hair or my skin color, or if I, um, uh, get wronged in some way, I, I don't have to step back and think like, well, what was, was that because of the color of my skin? And, and, and it's, it's, yeah. that was, it's I a think. hard, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to deal with because in a lot of the situations, I mean, and especially now, right. The, the landscape in corporate culture is a little bit different where you see people living, you know, loud and proudly in their own skin. Right. You know, I have executives at IBM who have locks. I have, um, you know, multiple different cultures just saying, look, there's also a different definition to professional, right? And look at me for what I do and look at me for what I add to your company as, as a part of bringing my culture with me. Um, but back then, I, I, I feel like that question was one of, if I'm going to get in the door, I have to adapt, right? It, it, and that that brings the conversation more towards, um, you know, uh, culture fit, right? Like, what does what does that what does that mean, right? When people hire for culture fit, it's it's usually about how does this person fit into the existing environment within our organization, right? Like, what does um, would this person be a person that we would get a beer with? Would this person be someone that I might hang out with um, outside of work? And when you look at the people that we hang out with, they're going to be very similar to ourselves. And so um, that's why things are moving more towards hiring for culture ad and where what are we missing, right? What could this person bring to our organization and, and what could... Um, what could they add as a result of them having a different background? And honestly, the, the success, you see it. Um, you're, you're on one side, you see um, a lot of technology coming out where if there was one woman or one black person in the room to ask a very specific question, um, there might not have been a giant rollout of, you know, facial recognition software that didn't, um, didn't recognize black people, right? Right. Or didn't there might well. yeah exactly that, that's well documented. Yeah. Or yeah. there may not have been a um a bot online that was trained on the um the speech on the internet. And because he said um exists more in the English language than she said, um namely because of what people type, what people put online, um the bot started referring to uh, female users as he, because just small, small things like that, where if a person who was um, affected or targeted by these, um, you know, these mistakes or these, you know, training mistakes in AI, if they were in the room, they would ask these questions. They would mm -hmm. spot yeah. these things. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's just, can, can, can you always know that these these quest these questions can be answered right like was there a racial element i don't know but can we put more um black people more women more minorities in the room 
So it's less likely that it was a racial element. Yes, I, I believe so. Yeah. I mean, I was, I had jotted down a note when you were telling that story about being told you might not be a good fit here. I, I was going to come back to that. You thank yeah. you for, for doing that because there are criticisms in uh, Silicon Valley technology circles, um, as you've already touched on, you know, uh, hiring people only from certain schools, um, hiring people yeah. who are like us in a way that ends up being exclusionary instead exactly. of um, inclusionary and additive yes. to the environment. So is that part of the mission when you, when you, uh, you know, um, ask you about the organization, um, tech can do better. Yes. Um, there, there are different dimensions in which tech can do better. Hiring, product development. Yes. Um, what, what, what are some of those dimensions? Or tell us a little bit more of the founding. Of so tech we're looking at um, kind of equitable hiring. There's going to be um, investment in social equity. And then there's also going to be advocacy for equitable legislation. Those are our three main pillars, right? Where um, under, you know, equitable hiring, we're we're talking about not only just um, affecting the diversity of um, any one organization or uh, tech in general. We're talking about affecting the pipeline because it doesn't just start with um, who's in the room uh, while you're hiring, right? Well, where the hiring process is very important, right? You know, you're looking at things like referrals being an issue. You're looking at things like. Um, you know, like you said, bringing uh, people from, uh, you know, very top tier Ivy League schools, because that's where people assume the greatest engineers are. Um, even um, assuming that you need a, a four year or six year degree to be a good technical uh, candidate, um, those kinds of things very quickly start to will out um, women and minority candidates because to get over the hurdles to get into that space, there's going to be more and more, right? And so it, it's even as far as figuring out how we can get um, young people into tech early to even know that it's an option and then to um, let people know um, at the, the associate's degree level and the, um, the non-Ivy League college level that you know, tech is something that's possible no matter what field you're in, right? Because I went to school for architecture. Coding was a hobby for me. And then I realized that I didn't want to do architecture. And I looked around and said, you know, just do the thing you've been doing this whole time. But, um, you know, it, it, it's very, it's very kind of systemic, the, um, the solution we're trying to bring, because the problem itself is systemic, right? And so what um, we're talking about on the hiring side, Things like um, transparency in the tech industry, right? Um, if you can't see what the problem is, you can't fix it, right? If, if we're not tracking what progress, you know, the FANG organizations and the, the smaller tier organizations are doing, getting towards um, um, equity or, or towards, you know, racial parity in their staff, then how do we know how much further we have to go? So we're talking about the um, EEOC data that's supposed to be uh, reported every year. We know it exists, but people hold on to it because it might not be a good look for the individual company. Um, there is a middle road there where you can say, hey, it's not a good look for us, but we, this is what we're doing to improve, right? Because the 
the veil is going to be pulled off at some point, right? When Google um, let the, I think it was like three or four high level um, black employees go in the past year, um, you know, that starts to bring that spotlight on, you know, you're, you're talking about like the Timnit Gebrews. These aren't people who get fired for, um, you know, the conversation, whether it was caused, we're not involved, but based on how it was handled and how her um, peers saw it playing out, I would say that the, the truth is probably more towards the side of the person who felt like she had no further path to go and left than the company that's trying to, you know, save their stock price and, you know, not look bad in front of their, their, uh, their stockholder, their, and their shareholders and, you know, the public. So, um, you know, and then there's, you know, they, I mean, I could talk about this for hours because I, I like this stuff, but, um, you know, in short, you know, we're, we want to fix the hiring process. We want to, um, facilitate like upward mobility of black employees, make sure that there's a path for promotion. Um, the, look at diversifying your executive board, um, making sure that people can look up and see themselves reflected in the C-suite. Um, we want to look at the pay gap, which there's been a lot of work going on here, but we're still looking at an 81% um, salary, average salary for black employees versus Caucasian employees. Um, and we're looking at, um, you know, seeing what benefits people get as a result for working there, because that's included in pay. Um, and I don't know if this is ever going to happen, but we also uh, tag on to reducing the uh, CEO to worker pay ratio, just because that large pay differential um, lessens the amount of possible salary that a company can pay out. And if we're trying to improve pay equity, um, inside a company, that money has to come from somewhere. So if we can get um, people in the C-suite to understand that, sure, $24 million a year is great. Like, that's fantastic. But I mean, would you take 15? You know, like, I mean, you can still get paid an inordinate amount, but you, it doesn't, the, the story that people tell, well, we need to be competitive. We need to put out these giant salaries to bring in talent. That's not true, right? All it does is bloat the amount of CEO pay. If every company was only paying out a max salary for CEOs, people would still take the jobs because that's what they could get paid, right? So, um, and then moving on, I think that um, what Tech Can Do Better is really trying to do is just level the playing field. I mean, you know, you can go to our website to see more about what we're talking about here. But honestly, the, the goal is to affect the industry that we all work in, right? We're all tech employees. We all have some stake in the matter. We have skin in the game. And uh, we've done a lot to build a community to um, bring together uh, a more than 60 companies in the tech space, right? Through the um, proposals that we put out, the, um, the, the handbooks that we create, the um, materials that we, we can help people use to try and affect change in their workplaces. And we're using the places where we work, where we have affected some change. And I will never say that we've, you know, reached that, that, that highest 
blue sky, but um, we may be a little bit more further down the road than you are at your company. So if you're looking for a way to do this, reach out to Tech Can Do Better and we can help you make that happen. And I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, you, you can just Google search or search wherever for Tech Can Do Better. Uh, otherwise, the website that uh, you'll find is tcdb.webflow.io. Um, or t- tcdb.us or techcandobetter.com. It all works. Oh, okay. It's funny that Google didn't send me. That would have been much simpler for me to just say <laughs> techcandobetter.com. I, uh, that's a, less, a mistake I've made before of not double-checking the website or what have you. So um, Moses, I want to ask one other question here. Um, you know, are, are there, what, what are the common mistakes or a most common mistake that a company makes when let you know they, they they want to close or they say they want to close gaps in racial equity. Are there any well-intended policies that just end up being ineffective to the point where maybe companies should just stop doing them, realize it's a mistake, and try something? Uh, I would strategy. I would say that um, there there are there are a couple of missteps right where. You, you really need to hold the progress accountable um, if, if you're trying to affect any kind of equitable change in your companies, right? Because I won't say that um, ERGs or employee resource groups are a mistake in themselves, but I would say that there is the chance for them to become more social clubs than um, actual um drivers drivers of change in any individual company just because companies feel like if we create a space for our minority employees to to talk and to share stories then that's good enough right we've given you we've carved out your own space for you but then i've seen that ergs that actually try and come up with um strategies or come up with um, things that they would like to see attempted at their companies often get sidelined, right? Where it's a um, a nod to doing the right thing, but the the meat and potatoes isn't behind it, right? They're not actually on board for the hard work that comes after. So I would say that thinking any one company is on your side because of the existence of an ERG um, might be a misstep. I would say that looking at any one company based on their um, their publicity statements um, you know we're looking at I think it was like two billions of two billion dollars were uh, promised last year in the wake of, uh, of of George Floyd's killing and um, I, I believe that only 50 million has actually been allotted um, and and actually sent towards actual, Um, organizations that can make change. And you could argue that maybe they just haven't found out how to use it yet. Maybe they're still in the R&D phase. But the thing about Tech Can Do Better is we're not making this stuff up. We're, we're, We're aggregating information that's been out there and that's been used for years and years in, in not only just in the tech space, but in the um, the corporate space in the job world where people know what they can do to make these things change is just not always convenient, right? And so um, I, I would say, you know, 
do do your due diligence. If you're going to work for a company and you're going based on um, not just what they can do for your career, but on the culture based on your um, how how well you feel like you'll fit in there. Do your due, do your due diligence and really check into it because um, what they put out in the public space may not be the entire story. Sounds like really good advice, and um, if, uh, encourage people to uh, to learn more. Uh, TechCanDoBetter.com. Do the uh, the simple. You don't even have to search. There's the URL. <laughs> TechCanDoBetter.us and uh, TCDB. We we just tried to did I cover. Get a, did I did I make a mistake on that? <laughs> no, 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 no. You no. didn't. Oh. I said .com, okay. but it's US, and it's my fault. <laughs> techcanDoBetter.us. Yeah, because we're um, we're only trying to focus on the U.S. at the moment because the particular racial climate in the U.S. is is unique compo- compared to the rest of the world. So um, eventually, we would love to start chapters in other countries, but we would have to bring other people in because I don't understand that landscape. Right? We we try and uh, talk about what we know. Well, it starts somewhere, and it's a it's a big challenge and a big need for uh, improvement. Exactly. Exactly. And honestly, um, I feel like we've made a lot of progress in the, in the past year. Um, We've, we've worked with a a lot of great names that you can see on our website. um, And we've gotten our work and our, our methodologies inside of companies. We've seen um, the work we're doing reflected well in hiring. Um, I, I personally started in my own department at my job and was able to get um, you know, uh, other black employees hired. And so I, I feel like, um, even from small scale, you know, you start somewhere and then you work your way out. Well, Moses, thank you so much for sharing, you know, some very, uh, you know, personal stories from the workplace and, um, reflections and growth that yeah. come from that. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for telling us about, uh, tech can do better. Uh, it's been really good having you here as a guest. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. Um, it's a joy to be here. And uh, you really made me dig, though. I, <laughs> asking someone what their favorite mistake is, it's a, it's a very different way to phrase things. And so thank you for the uh, introspection. Okay. Well, thanks for uh, accepting the invitation and, and thanks, for, uh, thanks for sharing that. Well, thanks again to Moses Harris for being our guest today. To learn more about him and about Tech Can Do Better, you can go to markgraven.com slash mistake 110 or look in the show notes in your podcast app. If you like the episode, please share it with a friend or a colleague on social media. Thanks. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.